0: I just think it's really important to have those environments where you can be so free. And then if if I find something successful in that space, go, OK, how can I apply this to my, my pop music?
1: Welcome to Signal Flow, a podcast that explores the technology, techniques, and ideas behind music in the digital age from input to output. My name is Erin Vera. I'm an associate professor here in the songwriting department.
2: Hi, I'm Loudon Stearns. I'm an associate professor in contemporary writing and production.
1: And today we have none other than Kimbra here with us in the studio. Thank you for joining us. Of course. How are you guys doing? We're so good. (laughs) We're having a great day because you're here with us and get to talk about all the nerdy things that we like to talk about. I want to start it off um, with a question about where you draw the line between technology and creativity, or or if you're not drawing one at all. And, like, let's start by talking about your actual process. Because the end result of you performing very often, it seems, like, from an outside perspective, I think it's it seems very, fa- like, technical. So some people would look at that and say, like, whoa, she's doing this crazy stuff. She's using all these gadgets. So, like, how... Does it start versus where does it end? And like, when does the tech come in?
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, most of the time that the song is written already, and I'm looking at how I can bring the arrangement of that song to life um, for stage. And that means, you know, okay, if I'm not an artist that just wants to sing to track, then I want to reinvent as much as possible on stage, have the musicians, if I'm playing with a band, you know learn parts off the record and then think about how can I vocally perform the song but also maintain some of that sound design stuff that's on the record and maybe recreate some of it on stage and so then you think, okay, well what are some of the gadgets that can help me do that? What are some of the vocal manipulation you know, units that can give me freedom to do my own kind of sculpted delays and reverbs and maybe more than that like bit crush the beats live and do kind of more dj style beat repeat things and it just it's about working out in your mind first what do i wish i could do live and tr- you know to translate um the song in a in a in a more wide spectrum way for people and also give me a chance to improvise, because that's a very big important part of what I do. I don't like just to sing the song down top to bottom with no freedom to change it. When I do the looping performances and something like I did the other day at Berkeley, it'll be different every time. And that's the beauty of technology is that it depends. There's a lot of risk <laughs> and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And there's also a lot of options in front of you. So every time you perform it, you can do... You know, you could do a very dry version of it, where it's just the loops and there's no effects going into it, and everything's done through a low pass filter and very cold, clinical feeling. You know, and then you could do another one that's super spacious and has all these effects. You know, it gives you this freedom to make the song new every time you play it. Um, So yeah, that's kind of the process: is is envisioning what I want people to feel in the audience, and then looking at the things that can. Give me that ability to um, recreate stuff from the record live, um, but also hopefully not distract me too much from singing the song from Mm -hmm. the heart.
1: So I'm also interested in like the actual stuff itself, because you you were telling me that when you were starting to write Settle Down, that it was on... Like an 8-track? Yeah, or something it's a 8-track
0: like that. that spits out the CD that you can then upload, which I did, to MySpace or something, you know, at the time. Yeah, that was just a clunky thing from the music, high school music room. I didn't take music at the time, but I asked the teacher if I could borrow it and I'm not sure I even read the manual but it was just this exciting new phenomenon of realizing I could double my voice and twist these knobs to get panning and actually apply a phaser and be like oh it sounds so wild and um, all of that was such a eye-opening stage for me musically Um, and of course that gave me an understanding of how Pro Tools worked and how I could layer up the tracks and basically just use software like a an eight track but now you've got limitless tracks um so yeah that was the beginning of that kind of technological process i also used acid um a little bit in school that that music software and then when i signed a management contract at 17 and moved to australia part of The process of helping me write my album was, you know, getting a Pro Tools rig and and just learning it and making beats and using like Expand and kind of you know basic MIDI uh, drum kits and stuff to to begin fleshing out demos. The next piece of gear that I started using a lot live was like the Boss loop pedal. So and that was pretty primitive with what it could do. There was no MIDI sync or anything like this yet. It was just a simple looper, but that gave me confidence at building. Um, a live show that wasn't just singer and guitar, you know, because I wanted to be able to show these colors of the stuff that I was exploring on the rec- records, you know, and do that live. So then once the, the boss became boring to me, I went to the Voice Live, TC Helicon Touch, you know, and I guess became um, a user of that in a way that was different and, and they, they kind of did a lot to help me out and then started giving me a lot of gear. I became like a little post girl for that instrument, but um, it, yeah, it just gave me a, again, another set of tools to play with. And as always you get bored of things. And so now I'm kind of onto the chaos pad and I really like those to play with voice and H nine pedals. Um, and I have been using a bit of um, Ableton push and machina jams for, for beat making both in the studio and live. Um, so it's always changing, you know, and I think that's, that is the fun of technology is you, you can't keep up fast enough. It's always moving forward and artists like us that, that thrive on that stuff, I guess we should see that as like a, a chance to always remain curious and excited because you never know what new little gadget is going to point you in an exciting direction.
2: Can I jump back to something you said earlier? Sure. So you said you were trying to make the audience feel a certain way. Yes. And you have all this technology. Can we have maybe some specific examples of like an audio effect or a technique that you think leads to a specific feeling in the audience? Oh, yeah.
0: It's all about feeling. Like, I mean, I'm not interested in just doing things that are just techie for the sake of being techie. Like me applying... Uh, an effect that puts like a a high fourth on top of my voice for a song like Top of the World so that when I sing you know one of the it's like a spoken word type Mm -hmm. verse and now it's putting like a fourth on top of my voice it gives it this creepy eerie Mm. sound or low octaving my voice for a moment and and, and sculpting the the drum beats to be all like slow down like, um, to, to, to a half time. And now they're going in this very like drunken way. I mean, the whole crowd will respond to that and be like, damn, now we're here. You know, it's all about surprises. And if I go for a big money note, you know, like something that's a super big belt, how cool to be able to then self, you know, with the autonomy of knowing what effect I want Mm -hmm. on that moment. Yes. I could tell the sound guy to do it every time I hit that, but because I know what I want to hear, and it's much easier to just do it. So, um, that's a, another example. It's a big moment that you want to apply a particular delay and reverb to so that it kind of peters out at the end in a certain way, or, yeah. you know, then the, that is literally might be the moment of the show for someone, or right. it might give them that sense of a soaring transcendence for a moment. And that's what excites me is mm. that by having these little tweaks on the Um, electronics or playing with the beats or playing with my voice it's actually like I said making every show different it's a chance to actually keep these arrangements feeling fluid and not tired and like okay one two three here we go you know
2: and all those audience members that know your music they notice those new little things every time. Do. So it's a yeah. fun puzzle to see what you're doing.
0: Absolutely. You know,
2: it's it's really wonderful to have you here. And I can see as you're saying these things, you're moving your hands like turning virtual knobs <laughs> in the world. And I can imagine you seeing just the knob that you're thinking of yeah. and the physicality of it. Um, and I can imagine as an audience member even seeing that. Also. That's interesting
0: you say that because my hands are a big part of my process um, as a singer. And I actually find that by lifting my hands up, I, I can alter pitch. by you know, just, just even through using my body and moving it in certain ways, it will totally change tonality of things. Mm. Because as a singer, you know, it's so much to do with the muscular Um, sort of the way you're the posture the way you're holding and what muscle tension you're applying to each note so in some ways it does come very naturally to use things like xyz pads and and various gadgets that are quite tactile because that's already how i'm visualizing music you know Um, waveforms make sense to me i can watch it and look at it so yeah, I mean, it, it really helps if you are someone who already is quite physical with your process. I think that technology can come quite easily, you know, especially when it's really visual technology, which is why I probably love to get out of the computer and use hardware because <laughs> I can sometimes feel a bit more yeah. um, like I am spending less time on tapping at keyboards to change parameters and actually engaging with the the, thi- the thing itself.
1: So, speaking of things, you know, there is like if depending on what you might. doing you might or want to be doing you might need many things right especially if you're freeing yourself of the laptop yes do you ever just like go back to that original pedal i mean i think
0: Yes, there are times when I realize I've taken it too far and I've got too many things on stage. And I like my engineers, sound engineers, they just despise these constant changes to the setup, you know, because it is annoying and changing things and, you know, adding things. And at some point you have to be like, okay, Kimber, are people really coming to your show to see you play with gadgets or are they coming to see you just sing that song? And that might make me go, okay. i got to make a sacrifice here. I'll just go back to having the voice live, which gives me a simple looper and some sculpted verbs and harmonizers. Dumb, you know? And that can be liberating when I just decide that. And so it really depends on the tour and where I'm at emotionally as well, like how much I can... How much I can energy I can invest into all the technical stuff. It might be that a certain tour I just want to be a singer that tour. You know, I just want to like have one piece of gear to interact with. And then another tour I might feel like you know this is the one I just want to get like into the little kid again and have like a spaceship of stuff. So again, flexibility and versatility is the the key for me. It's the way that I stay engaged with what I do, um, and it has been really important for me to learn. When to put some things away and to to actually realize they might be getting in the way of your connection with the audience, especially if things are breaking down and you know the computer they're not talking to the computer, so they're on their own time grid, and you can get things that are out of sync. There's a point where it can take over, and that is constantly the precipice I'm like playing with <laughs> is is how how much is too much technology and too much. Density of just gadgets that, that actually remove your ability to be present. So I'm always looking for the balance. Hmm.
1: So, um, indications that you've gone too far with the technology we've got uh, time code sync mm, yeah. issues what what else yeah. cpu yeah
0: well when you know perhaps when you no longer can use eye contact with the audience because you're mm. spending too much time looking down at all the changes you have to make or if like you know i really like using the stage and walking around a lot so i need to be able to have maybe that means that you have ableton do the changes to your vocal effects and you make it a MIDI message so it turns on at a certain point in the second verse so you can walk away. You know, that's a good workaround um, to have things turning off and on automatically so you're not the master of turning things off and on. The the, the trouble is, though, I do really care about people seeing me do things on stage. So yeah. having everything just MIDI mapped and people don't even know and at that point I'm like, well, why? What What's sort of the point of putting in all the effort if they don't even know that there's... So I do like the... Tactile thing of at certain points in the show, the audience can see that I'm engaging with the tracks or engaging with my voice to create layers. Um, but maybe not every moment. Maybe it's just one song, you know, maybe it's just a few where you do that. If it's every song, um, does it become boring for the audience? Does it mm-hmm. become actually unengaging because, you know, it's more about proving a point that you're doing all these things on stage and less about just giving yourself to the song? Um, again, I haven't, you know, always successfully mastered this, you know, but I've taken advice from people around me and that's important. It's like asking people, you know, hey, did it feel like I was present in that show? Do you feel like I mastered the balance between being like very technical on stage and just being like you know, embracing the pop star and being like a a singer, you know, (laughs) and then you'll get feedback like, you know what, I I feel like in this particular song, you're a little too preoccupied with that and we can't connect with you or um, other people being like, yeah, no, I think the balance is right on, you know.
2: I'm really interested in these moments where it's not your song that you're performing, but it's a collaborative experience with other musicians, totally improvisational. I know you've put yourself in those positions Mm -hmm. and I'm curious about... How you create an environment where you know you'll have the freedom to interact with people mm-hmm. and um, how you deal with just the stress and the risk and yes. the, 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 the challenge of, of totally improvisation with electronics. That's a,
0: a really important part of how I even got to be this technical is because I started putting myself in positions where I did completely improvised music. Mm-hmm. And it was an exercise in fearlessness because it's like on one side of it, it's completely frightening to just step up and be like and one two three go let's start a song and i wanted them to be pop songs i wanted them to have changes <laughs> that like went into a chorus and i'd just right. try to sing the first line that came out of my mouth but i got people i really trusted you know i'd have like Thundercat come through be the right. nicest or you know incredible keyboardist taylor graves and you know miguel came down one night and like these amazing artists that this was called co- space jam when i did it in la and i'd put it on Twitter like a couple of hours before and just be like, I'm doing a jam session at the um, bootleg theater come through. Now, this environment gave me a chance to bring down all those techie things that I'd been playing with a bit at the studio, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to see how they went live. It's safe because I trust all the musicians around me. I know they're going to pick up and put down something dope. And I also know that the whole point of it is experimentation no one's coming and expecting me to like pull out you know the song they love and like mm. do a full-blown show i don't even dress up the way i would i would keep it like super just like down home and lay low and anon- more anonymous and kind of everyone is just there to be like children in the playground and it gave me a chance to try out these crazy effects and see what these things did um, and then when I moved to New York, I continued this culture of playing with a collective called Exotech, which is, I mean, we've had everyone from Sean Lennon, David Byrne, Questlove, all these amazing people come through to be part of it. And again, I would bring down a table of gadgets of my, my pocket pianos, my various chaos pads, you know, Mogo Foger, pedal, just different things that I had collected at home and been like, here's my palette. I'm not under the guise of Kimbra performing right. Kimbra discography. I'm just a member of the band. It's very democratic. We're all just there to contribute. So now I have this stuff at my disposal and I'm in an environment where it's okay if I kind of make mistakes. Like, you know, no right. one's, it's so abstract and weird and jazz, the music we're making, <laughs> you know, it's pretty yeah. out there and jazz. Set
2: up some expectations for Yeah, everyone. but yeah. so it
0: kind of lets you do some kind of weird like, you know, sound and people are like, oh, that's sick, you know, but maybe it was a total mistake. But it's like, I just think it's really important to have those environments where you can be so free and the expectations are people are just there to, to kind of, you know, get lost in that music. And mm-hmm. then if, if I find something successful in that space, go, okay, how can I apply this to my, my pop music? Mm. How can I take this stuff I've learned in this abstract jazz setting, and maybe bring this pedal in and use it in my live show where my fans probably wouldn't expect to hear stuff like that. Right. But I've had some time trying it out in that um, context.
2: Do you find in those contexts that the, um, the audience is more likely to give you honest feedback or you can trust their impression of things? Because they have those certain expectations.
0: I mean, I probably wouldn't have like direct dialogue with, you know, it's not like I go into the crowd and like ask everyone how it win, But But it's seeing, you know. But seeing, exactly. And knowing what's really connecting because you're just constantly taking risks. And it's really about the band, like the collective of the band around me. Did they pick up on that? Did Mm. they take that idea and roll with it? Or did that kind of fall flat, you know? Um, it's an immense amount of trust you have to have in each other on stage, but I'm a huge believer in improvised music as a way to break through creative st- like stagnancy, because sure. everyone's in the same boat. You're all putting yourselves out there and just trusting each other, um, Yeah, and it's great for trying out new technology. Do you record those jams? Yeah, a lot of them have been recorded. You can find some of them online, like the, my Space Jam sessions, and then Exotech, which is my like f- the 14-person collective in New York that, that do various shows, um, pop-up shows, you know. But uh, yeah, we even went into Red Bull Studios and did like a full week of actually recorded music, which no one has ever, you know, it's, it's sitting in the vault, but maybe one day that stuff will come <laughs> out. And again, even if it, it's less about the destination and more about the journey, so so to say. Because um, even if no one ever hears that music, it's informed so much of the things that I've taken to my own work. I think that's the important thing, you know? It's kind of like we were talking about art as healing the other day that, you know, sometimes just the process of
1: doing it itself is informing a lot. That's like the point. Regardless of whether <laughs> it, 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 you know, became something something loud and i talk a lot about is this like line between composition and improvisation in a way and like setting up environments which are conducive to, to either thing mm-hmm. so i was like why i was asking about the recording of the jams like i'm wondering if if you record them and then go back li- and listen to them and like find moments that of become course. like concepts and ideas that you eventually then develop and like yeah you know, because I mean, I find composition to just be improv in slow motion, yeah, in a way, yeah. you know. And so, like, w- how does that tie back, like that improvised moment, to the songs?
0: Well, a lot of my songwriting sessions, like for the Golden Echo and um, mo- more of the Golden Echo and Primal Heart, a little, were, 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 were jam sessions that were songwriting sessions. So let's just build on a bass line or a beat, and I'll write a song over it or try to, but it's fully improvised. But out of that, maybe a recurring melody comes, and maybe that actually ends up being a starting point for a song. And in the same way, listening back to those improvised sessions, I may hear a motif that I've been you know, doing a fair bit. Maybe I'm doing that motif quite mm. a bit in various sessions, so it's sticking you know or that lyrics coming up you know a few times and you go okay it's it's kind of channeling the subconscious Mm -hmm. these things that come out in improvisation so then from that point you you think okay i'm gonna take that into the studio next time i'm working on something and that's where it gets exciting is improvisation actually leading to something coherent and and like pop music. I get really excited about that, you know, because if it just lives in the abstract world, it's still interesting, but it's it's so much cooler when you can take an idea from that space and see it through to manifest it into like Mm. a fully formed idea. Do you ever just have like the weirdest stuff come out of your mouth? Oh man! I mean, it's all <laughs> wild. It's 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 really sound based, and I sing in gibberish most of the time. So it's every now and then there'll be lyric, but it's more like yeah, you smile, go we'll watch L5 You know, it's just things that feel good, and sort of they they converge on sounding like tongues of another language. But but because I'm just acting as an instrument in the space, it's it's more about the visceral feeling of the sounds and and, and just experimenting with what your body can do. It sounds all very hippie, but I I actually think (laughs) that it's actually a very big part of my process and why I can be so free on stage in, in the pop context is because I've given myself these environments to be very, um, quite psychedelic, you know, in (laughs) these other environments, yeah.
2: Streaming the subconsciousness, you said that a moment ago, and that's, I think, the phrase you said now that connected most back to me seeing you perform. Hmm. Like, that's what it's always felt like for me. And I saw one of these performances of you where... It was like these weird words yeah. and these weird rhythms and you kept going I'm like what well, that's really interesting but then but then real words formed right and meaning was there yeah, <laughs> that that's made sense yeah, and beautiful? It, it's always stuck with me of oh, that performance cool. honestly, I lost a lot you know in mm-hmm. memory and mm-hmm. but that that sense of there's rhythm first mm-hmm. and then there is phenome mm-hmm. and then suddenly, meaning for. Him.
0: That's exactly the way it works. Yes. Which was, Rhythm starts it all. Yeah. Always so
2: opposite mm-hmm. of what I've always considered songwriting to be. i mm-hmm. I've always thought of like meaning, what is the yeah. song about? Yes. to come first. And that uh. performance I I've thought so much about it mm. since, mm. and think, and I think the streaming, the subconsciousness is is what is kind of connecting it for it doesn't me. Doesn't
0: really matter what comes first, does it? You know, that's the thing. Meaning will emerge if it's meant to. Uh, that statement is amazing to me <laughs> and been revelatory. When I saw that performance, cool. that was oh, a whole
2: cool. new th- concept for me.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm really glad you picked up on that. That's
1: cool. Yeah, we both got to see you in Berlin a right. few years ago. It was kind of like the spark for what leads us here today. <laughs> yeah. Actually, oh, cool. Like, we need to get Cambridge Berkeley. (laughs) I think people could really learn
0: from her. I had no idea if that performance connected. Like, I was like, man, I don't know if that shit was just totally, like, off. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing about improvisation. Sometimes you really, I'd never jammed with those musicians before, ever. So it's all just, you know, so much luck involved. But if you just throw yourself in there, sometimes you're surprised at what the instincts, when you stop thinking too much. Um, sometimes you surprise yourself, you know? It's it's pretty, I think it's pretty uh, cool psychologically to think about as well, you know? Just when you go, like someone puts the pressure on you, mm-hmm. like one, two, three, go, say something, you know? <laughs> it's basically <laughs> what it's like. Action. You know? Yeah, but you have to trust your craft, you know? Because the truth is you, we could all do that because we've trained ourselves in this work for so long that you do have instincts to pull out an idea out of the hat.
2: Do you work with run, young young artists and, and put them through those kind of challenges? Well, I mean,
0: every now and then of those jam sessions, I would invite yeah. someone down who I thought was, you know, like maybe they weren't like a you know super experienced player, but I was like, I think you could roll with this thing, you know? So, And of course, I like to, to collaborate a lot, and some of them are younger than me, and I feel like I have a mentoring role a little bit, but I'd like to do more of it. I think improvisation is especially something that can be so beneficial to young musicians mm. who have never perhaps done it before and think they can't, you know?
1: Right. It's kind of the, one of the cornerstones of what we do here at Berkeley. Right. Like even the audition process, there's there's an improvisational component Whoa. of it. And it's really interesting to see people, especially under huge duress, mm-hmm. you know, because you're on stage in front of a lot of people, even if yeah. it's a small room with two people that are just listening very close to what you're doing, you know, it's like, it's very revealing. Yes.
2: Oh, I mean, when you describe, like, one, two, three, go, <laughs> mm-hmm. That's it's yeah. in our audition process. Yeah. We, you know, we bring okay. singers in, okay. and, you know, like, okay, improvising this blues, yeah, make up words as you do it. Wow. And they're like, huh? And some of them, just it's just amazing.
1: Wow. Yeah. You know? And the, or the ones who have never done it before, right. and then they're like, wow, that was so cool. And yeah. the,
2: And they, they all achieve something
1: exactly you know
2: we all have it in us and mm-hmm. I like I like you said it's put them on the spot put yourself on the spot
0: it's actually a process i do with musicians when i'm producing a song or working with a producer i might have musicians come through that i want to play on the song and if i'm i'll be doing the session just with them i'll be engineering the session you know comping it as i go and kind of working to get the right performance out of them right mm-hmm. and one thing i like to do i did a lot with thundercat was not let them hear the song first before I hit record. So the first time they're hearing it, you know, it's it's all recording and we get the very first instinct mm. before they start thinking about it. Before they start thinking like, oh, where would my pocket be? What's a cool thing to do? Not, none of that. I just want your initial instinct of where you go. And that's a really fun way to work. It's Actually, I request that as well when I'm asked to sing on a track or something. I, I just want to hear it for the first time and see where my body goes and where I just viscerally start to enter the um, the song as opposed to listening, listening, listening. Okay, let me think about this. Let me, you know, you're losing all that sacred time of spontaneity. It only happens once. That's so, once. so
2: cool.
1: <laughs> only happens right?
2: once. So valuable.
1: I mean, that's, that's, I don't think most sessions are run like that. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, hey, let me send you the song. I want you to do something that's like this. Mm. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Something to keep in mind, huh? Yeah. I'm gonna do that to you next time we're doing something together. I'm gonna be like, no, I'm not gonna tell you what we're doing. I just want to get your first instinct. <laughs> you've <laughs> yeah. done that to me
2: on, we're this, doing podca- it right on now. this podcast. <laughs> you play. You've played songs to me that we analyzed. Oh, but you've done yeah, it to me. Yeah. I do do
1: that. Where I've thought a lot about it. Yeah. Mm. We analyzed. There's this amazing band in Brooklyn called Half Wave. Okay, don't I know, haven't heard of them. Well, it's this woman and then these two guys. It's so just like really mm. compelling electronic music, and I had. I thought a lot about it and then kind of was just like looking at him waiting. (laughs) It's like, what are you going to say? And it's, yeah. And it was, it felt, I think that was a particularly good podcast because you were just saying what you were thinking and like, yeah, Yeah. it was, it would have been not as cool if we had done it otherwise. Exactly. All right. More of that. More of you not knowing and me knowing. (laughs) So when you're using your hands and touching all the buttons and twisting all the knobs, it seems very much like just an extension, like you're playing an instrument. Um, So when you were starting with this stuff, like how long did it take you before you started feeling like you weren't thinking?
0: Yeah, it's repetition. I mean, mental repetition, imagining the song in my head and imagining when I'm going to hit that button before the second chorus, okay, and then I'm going to filter there and then remember to turn the loop off there. It's mental repetition, of imagining myself playing the, the, you know, this is specific to songs that are very much on my shoulders with the, the tech work. If it's something that um, is more about me just singing and doing a few effects, it's not as technical as people would think. It's really a series of turning off and on things and, um, you know, practice just just having done it a lot in both improvised settings and and live and setting it up in a way where not too much stuff can go wrong you know making it a bit bit foolproof so if that means sometimes doing looping where it's synced to a click so that it'll quantize the loop you know into time you do things like that so that you've got a bit of a buffer if you're super shaky one night and it's not all working out you know things like that but in terms of just getting the feel going of what it feels like to loop live and to use these different instruments. It's its just getting it in your body, you know, getting it in your muscle memory so that you feel your inner clock and you kind of have rehearsed the movements of like, now I go here. It's a lot of multitasking and you'd be surprised. I'm actually a very forgetful person in the real world and i really struggle to multitask and be quite distracted and aloof. But when I get into that space of Singing and there's an emotional element to it where I know that by making that change technically, I'm doing something to the song that's crucial. It's like I can remember a lot, you know. So it's just finding that that skill set where you can be very much um, having a lot of things going at once and and still remaining focused on the song. And and, and with enough practice, they just start to it just starts to happen. And, and tying it to a lyric as well, that's important, like the emotional connection, not just thinking of it like numbers, thinking of like, okay, well, what am I saying in this second verse? Okay, so it makes sense that I'm filtering down all the sounds there to be this bubbly, warbly kind of um, feeling. And, and on that note, when I say that line, it makes sense that I'm throwing that huge delay, which I trigger off or what, if, you know, connect it to something emotionally and you'll remember it a lot better.
2: Right. I noticed that as a bass player. I listen to the lyrics. I don't have to yeah. think about the music anymore. It's it's sure. all right there. Can I ask about your relationship with the tech crew that you're working with? Mm-hmm. So how you relate to your monitor engineer, mm-hmm. what kind of what kind of people you have supporting you technically during a tour and how that that goes yeah. in. That tends to be my side of things that mm. I really love is that is, the, is that that supporting role behind the artist.
0: Yeah. So I've always had a technical person in the band who is really savvy at Ableton. As much as I enjoy doing all of that, and it's a big part of what I do, I, I don't have the time to be spending constantly revising the sessions, going through, rebouncing the stems at the right levels, changing the parameters of delays before a show. Like I just that is a, a role that I happy to <laughs> pay that person a little higher to be the the you know like it's just it's important to me that I have some people in place when i when I have crazy press days and stuff I can't be doing all of that as well so I've always had someone in the band who is really adept at computers and can be doing that work on the side that's in the past been Time and Martin who's also my guitarist um, and I've known him since I was like 15 he's from New Zealand and he's just growing into that kind of role um, my sound engineer uh, is this guy from Denmark Casper Moore and yeah he's a very big part of creating the sound of the show too because he has learned what I like from seeing me do my own delays and throws and things
2: so this is front of house engineer front of house yeah, yeah. oh
0: sorry not monitor that's yeah. okay no um, you,
2: you said engineer I just oh, wanted to clear I? Okay. Yeah, yeah I just wanted to clear it up for the whole <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah people listening sure
0: so he has learned what I like now after mm-hmm. watching me do it so much and I'm little by little starting to give him more and more of that role, you know, and actually deciding, okay, maybe I've trained him well enough now to Mm -hmm. know how to control a lot of my vocal stuff that I can lose this certain gadget because it's getting clunky and it's getting in the way. And I'll let Casper handle that. So he has like a space echo pedal that he's been using on me for the Strip Down tours. So it just means every time I go for big moments, he's controlling that. And um, usually it just comes from training them with your instincts rather Mm -hmm. than like sitting and giving them a lyric sheet and doing all of that it's it's also you know he's someone that might help me custom build the rig so say i'm integrating like three or four Mm -hmm. gadgets um we'll brainstorm together how we can chain it all to be you know and and ground it so there's not a hiss and Mm -hmm. build it onto planks of wood so that it's kind of can travel for <laughs> right. like ages on the road, yeah. things like that that Put you do think about. But, you know, yeah. So and- those people are really important to me, and I'm working really closely with them. It's not like they just have the job of doing the sound; they're also integrated into helping me maintain all the technology on stage. Um, and even my tour manager, you know, is like savvy with sound and like going out the front and always, you know, checking in on how things sound and giving me feedback on whether I was too distracted or. Um, you know, or not uh, engaged in the way I should be. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really taking advice from everyone on the crew about my my balance,
1: like I said, yeah.
2: Sounds like a family. We're, we're getting pretty close, close these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's great. Sure.
1: You were talking about practicing. Yeah. And um, at that same loop that we saw you, D'Anthony Parks was there as well. Yeah. And he talked a lot about, like, this practice regimen that he has and, like, okay. how much time he spends just in the physicality of wow. doing what it is that he was doing. And I was, I was kind of impressed. Mm. So I'm wondering, like, what do you do to maintain your craft?
0: Yeah. I've never been a big, like, believer in, like, practicing singing a ton. It's just not... I. I know that it's a a great tool for for some people who want to get really technical on runs. And, you know, just, of course, practice is important. And I've had a coach since I was very young. And, of course, I've practiced my butt off doing gigs, you know, since I was 12 or something and practicing. So it's not like it's not a part of what I do. But in terms of at this stage of my career, doing, you know, constant practice of the song over and over, it's just... A, I don't want to slam my voice too hard. I want to wait till the moment for the performance to let it all out. B, all of my training in vocal um, warm-ups has been muscular. I don't do any scales or any actual singing in my warm-ups. It's all more like an athlete. So it's to do with warming up my lats and glutes and abdomen, pecs, like actually becoming like hitting the blood pumping through my body so that when I go to sing, I'm not relying just on this tiny vocal muscle, but actually pulling from muscle tension all through the body. Um, which is why you see, you know, Tina Turner or Whitney like push down into their bodies when they hit those high notes, activating their whole body like an athlete. So, you know, this idea of practicing vocals is it's, I'm also I want to retain the messy edges of my voice they're actually the bits that I think are most compelling you know the parts when I do crack or the parts when things get a little shaky um and I also think just after a period of time singing is in your muscle memory so much that you don't really need to practice it do you know what I mean like
1: what about the tech stuff like there's
0: so much okay, more to so what you're doing right? Yeah. exactly so that's where I do think it is more um beneficial to be practicing the just the practical changes of things and that is a series of <laughs> steps isn't it it's like me right I'm, I'm a visual person so i write them out you know i'll be like intro turn on this button you know KKP 2 hit this and da, 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 undo da, 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 push this and turn this one off you know i'll write it out so i mentally can see myself making the changes but in terms of like Doing a whole day of just practicing it over and over, I wouldn't say I'm on that level. I'd say I would like, before the show, just be grinding it. I'd record a voice memo of myself doing it. I would listen over and over and see myself making the changes as I go. Um, and you know, the greatest practice is just like doing it at the gigs over and over and not. I've always been like that. I mean, when it came to to looping live, when I was like back with my guitar and singing. I just decided the best practice would just be to book a show and do it, Mm -hmm. you know. And if that meant making mistakes or meant, you know, that I kind of messed it up a few times, luckily audiences are very compassionate like that. Look at, you know, the other day when I messed up the loop the first time, you know. People get it. And it also makes it kind of more compelling because it's yeah. clear that you're taking a risk. So I'm a, when people are like, when is the right time to like play your first show? I'm like, Ow. right now. <laughs> yep. like, get out there and start because when you're under pressure, you your body is like, okay, and you have to remember. And, and, mm-hmm. and also it's not the end of the world if you don't do it exactly this way that you practiced, you know. But at least with every time you you do it live, you're getting into the habit of doing it under pressure, which is different to doing it just in your bedroom when no one's watching. So I think you need to be practicing under the, the audience eye. Um, yeah, I hope that it makes sense. It's not that I don't practice yeah, at all, yeah, yeah. but I'm definitely not on the D Antony level of just like grind, 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 because <laughs>
1: I'm I'm quite interested in imperfection in as well, you know? It's nice to hear you say that because I, I teach a lot of live performance on campus and people get so fluck, like flustered because yeah. they want to control mm-hmm. and they feel like they're not in control right mm-hmm. like to, the technology it's a lot of responsibility to kind of it is a be lot and in it there's got to be
0: a lot of acting in it too you've got to be ready to make it look like you know mm-hmm. exactly yes. what you're doing mm-hmm. I've learned mm-hmm. that the, you know the hard way <laughs> if you if I can fly my hands around distract people from the mistake I made and just do something vocally wild <laughs> it's, it works. Just make them look somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Just just wave your hand over here. It's a magician. <laughs> or just, just hit a big note and just make them be like, damn. Yeah. Or just just decide that you're going to turn all the instruments off and use your hands and start to clap and just make the chorus like yeah. that. I mean, we've all had to learn the hard way when your track's cut out at the biggest mm-hmm. moment of the song or something. And you're just, well, you know, I've, I've been there. I was on the David <laughs> Two Byrne tour. Two <laughs> I'm touring with David Byrne, you know, and our, our computer stuff cut out. And so... Me and the bass player, you know, on the Moog, we just performed one of the, mm-hmm. the pop bangers, like as a just vocals and Moog, you know, and it's like acting is a big part of it.
2: Yeah. But you've <laughs> also set up the technology so that if that stuff goes down, at least vocals are left.
0: Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's that little re- yes. redundancy
2: that the computer can fail and they'll yes. still hear your voice. I yeah, mean, you've uh, got to <laughs> have some
1: foolproof things. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I love that.
1: I think making a mistake makes it feel Mm -hmm. real, Mm. you know, and that's what people are, you know, nobody wants to make a mistake. But when it comes to technology, like there's nothing more definitively real time than you totally messing up. And I think that it from an audience perspective, like they they almost trust you more because you're like, okay, you're really doing doing that. You're doing that thing. People
0: want to see a human, not a robot. Mm -hmm. You know, humans make mistakes. Yeah. And also like, I don't know, it is it is hard. Everyone hates making mistakes. I'm the same. But like tune into the thing that is working. If another thing isn't working, like focus on the instrument that is the gadget that is actually like really working for you.
1: So I just, I, you know, I want to say thank you for, yeah. for coming, not, not only for this one hour that we get to share with the extended Berkeley community, but for coming and, you know, sharing your time with the students and faculty. And, you know, it's, it's really meaningful for us to have someone and an, an artist like you come and spend this time with us. So thank you again for being here. It's been really inspiring for me, too. Amazing. Well, we'll see you guys next time. And make sure you subscribe, like, share all the stuffs. And we'll, we'll see you next Signal Flow.